Welcome to Spoonable Standpoint, the podcast where your hosts Leo and Charlene dig into food culture. In this episode, we'll be talking about school lunch, how we've experienced it, and how it can change to be the best it can, not just for the students' enjoyment, but for their health as well. So, how did we go from counting ketchup as a vegetable in the 80s to being so strict about school lunch guidelines now? What about before the 80s? Let's get into school lunch history. By 1900, 34 of the then 45 states made education for children under the age of 14 mandatory. Many politicians knew that this was an opportunity to give the children of the poor laborers a good, healthy, and balanced meal for lunch, since it would have been harder for them to have one at home. That is why school lunch began, a vessel of health for all the children. But as we know about the American government around this time, that did not stick. Later, during the Great Depression, school lunch became a federal standard, and surplus crops were served in school. These crops were obtained under a part of the New Deal called the AAA, or the Agricultural Adjustment Act. Its objective was to raise crop prices in order to stimulate the economy, and buying these surpluses was part of it. The other day, I was actually reading about some of the meals eaten during this Great Depression and found something called mashed hot bread soup. Essentially, it was just a piece of stale bread covered in olive oil and salt, but soaked in boiling water and mashed. Now, I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound too great compared to the more substantial school food. And I think this really shows how much importance was placed on these school lunches back then, since obviously mashed hot bread soup doesn't contain many, if any, nutrients. Things seemed to be going well, but eventually took a sharp turn in the wrong direction. In contrast to the Nixon and Eisenhower administrations and the Child Nutrition Act of 1966, the Reagan administration lowered the budget for school lunch in 1981 by $1.5 billion. I stated a moment ago our intention to keep the school breakfast and lunch programs for those in true need. But by cutting back on meals for children of families who can afford to pay, The savings will be $1.6 billion in fiscal year 1982. This meant that students were not getting higher quality lunches, and to meet the budget, schools had to cut corners to meet bare minimum health standards. This is where the original intent of school lunch started to be lost in the wind, as incredibly unhealthy foods became the staple of school lunch. Around the time of the Reagan-era lunch, obesity rates in America began to skyrocket because of these unhealthy meals. And these obesity rates began to rise more and more and more. And over the next decades, the health of the children became of greater and greater concern. According to the State of Childhood Obesity Organization, childhood obesity rates rose from 5% in 1978 to 18.5% by 2016. One of the main contributing factors of this rise was the incredibly unhealthy school lunch. However, in 2010, Congress passed the Healthy Hunger-Free Kids Act, which Obama refers to as doing what is right for our children. This was made in order to limit that school lunch factor that helped cause those incredibly high rates of obesity. So we need to make sure our kids have the energy and the capacity to go to -to toe-to-toe with any of their peers anywhere in the world. We need to make sure that they're all reaching their potential. That's precisely what this bill, the Healthy Hungry Free Kids Act, uh, will accomplish. It was meant to revert school lunches back to what their original intention was, a vessel of health for all the children. 
but has it achieved what it set out to do? Let's discuss. So when I was in kindergarten, school lunch was the very basic fried food. It was chicken nuggets and mozzarella sticks and french fries, all the delicious stuff. That year, the PTA at my elementary school was trying to get this program called Wellness in the Schools into the school. Wellness in the Schools is a great program. I'm just to put that out there. At the time, when they was first introduced in first grade, <laughs> It was not the best because I was expecting chicken nuggets and I got butternut squash ravioli. But in the end, <laughs> it was a great program because we were eating healthier. They also helped us organize exercises out in the schoolyard. The best part of it was that sometimes we would skip a class and we would go and get to learn how to cook food. Remember the first time I had kale chips. It was during that and it was the most delicious thing I ever had. I was like, how are these not made of potato? Um, so that was a great program, but the biggest problem with the program at the time, and I think still is the fact that the school lunch, even though it was healthy, it wasn't a hundred percent well-made. Mm -hmm. And that's the fault of nobody. Having to make a bulk amount of food is difficult. Definitely. My elementary school was big. So they had to make a lot of food. Therefore, the food wasn't quality controlled as much as the recipes wanted them to be. And that led to just not the best food experience. Yeah, I definitely agree. And it was great that your school pushed WITS. It seems like a great program, the fact that they had you guys so hands-on with the school food experience. Um, I think that's definitely a very valuable experience, especially for you. It's when you were younger in like first grade. Um, I remember the school that I went to had a much more different approach. They didn't really change much. They didn't add an additional school lunch program. They basically kept the school food the same past the, the Healthy and Hunger-Free Kids Act in 2010. So yes, the school food itself was healthier, but we never really got that hands-on experience. What my school did was they put posters everywhere encouraging kids to take healthier options, take their yeah. milk, take their fruits, pushing kids to have, lead more healthier <laughs> lifestyles. And they were everywhere. So I feel like that's more of like a subconscious approach. You kind of yeah. get that ingrained in the kids' minds rather than having them be involved in the school lunch. Yeah. Be in a more hands-on way. Yeah. That's a really interesting point you bring up. Like, does subconscious work better than conscious? Because I know that one of the DOE regulations, at least in New York City, and I, I'm sure nationwide, is that all students are supposed to take mm -hmm. a fruit and a vegetable for lunch. So, you know, you get your plate, it has broccoli on it. I don't know, carrots, whatever. And they yeah. say, uh, go take an apple. And for me, I don't really like <laughs> eating a raw apple because they're just like, they're mushy and ah, they're not that great. So when I'm being forced to do something, especially exactly. when you're a kid, you don't want to do it. 
if someone says take fruit, you're gonna be like, no, I don't wanna take the fruit. But if you're taught at a young age, or it's ingrained in your mind at, at a young age that fruit is good, it's delicious, there are great ways to make it, and it benefits your body, then when you're older, you're just gonna you know, take a pear and eat it. When we were in person in high school, I would have like one or two pears every single day because they were delicious and they were right there so I could have as many <laughs> as I wanted. So, but I really don't know how I would be now if I didn't have that kind of program. Do you think those posters like really benefited you or do you think it was more of like a, something that your mind just kind of went like, man, it doesn't matter. Yeah, I think it was definitely the latter. <laughs> um, they might, they may have been subconsciously trying to get us to eat healthier. At the end of the day, they <laughs> they still gave us apples mm -hmm. on every tray. Yeah. They still made us take bananas. So you did make an interesting point before that kids just won't do something if they're being told to mm -hmm. do it. But no matter what, they were still being forced to take a fruit because like you said, it's a standard. So while there was an attempt with the posters and all, <laughs> I think over time, kids just accepted that as being, you know, something that's there in their cafeteria. They, I don't think they really it was like a learning took experience. that meat. Yeah, they, they never yeah. really got much out of it. I know I didn't, and I know a lot of my peers didn't, yeah. as we still didn't really enjoy the school mm -hmm. food because of how strict the regulations are. But it really shows that health is an important goal for schools and governments, but at what cost? Yeah. And going back to being forced to take something and adding on to what you're saying, there was so much food waste. Elementary yes. school. And I thought it was just going to be elementary school because, mm -hmm. you know, I would see kids taking like a bite of their butternut squash ravioli or their chickpea pesto pasta and just being like, nah, I don't really like it. And then throwing it away. Same thing with like the vegetables and the fruits. But no, when I went into middle school, I realized it wasn't just because we were eating like healthier stuff just just because kids won't always eat as much as people think they do and they want like a certain thing i think and mm -hmm. when all you're given is like a, like a little bit of mac and cheese and then a lot of broccoli and like two apples or whatever they're probably not going to eat the broccoli or the two apples i'm gonna take a few bites of it and they might not like it because the food isn't the highest quality and that's again to no one's fault that's just because of the small amount of quality control and there really is so much food waste in the schools mm -hmm. um yeah i definitely agree that there is a lot of that there is a lot of food waste in schools and just like you i remember seeing in schools that kids would take a bite out of something and just throw it out kids would just finish what they'd like to eat and then throw out mm -hmm. the rest and According to Penn State News, people found that up to 53% of school food served per plate is wasted. Yeah. In my own personal experiences, I would say that 53% sounds like a good <laughs> number because they want you to have a balanced meal. So they have dairy, grains, and fruits and vegetables. But the fruits and vegetables just didn't taste very good. There was... They couldn't be salted all that much, so then mm -hmm. that kind of like seasoned flavor. And all it was was like boiled broccoli. And that results in a lot of food waste. It also results in, in money lost for the school. Exactly. And 
schools already lose so much money to to school lunch. I, I found a few statistics from uh, from Capin. The lunch cost per child is about three dollars and eighty one cents. Mm-hmm. That does not just cover the food; it also covers the labor, the equipment, electricity, all that kind of stuff. The reimbursement rate is about three dollars and thirty two cents. So that means the schools are are losing forty nine cents and forty nine cents per per child. That, that's a pretty good investment. But I'm sure a lot of the food that's being wasted falls under that forty nine percent. So they're investing in the children, but their investment isn't fully paid off because they're not eating that full lunch. I wouldn't expect a school lunch to cost $3.81 per student. At first glance, it just does not seem true because I remember all we really get was like the scoop, a scoop of the main dish and then mm-hmm. two side dishes and like an apple and maybe a milk. I don't think that costs $3.81. That especially when a lot of it is being sourced for free by the USDA mm-hmm. and being bought in bulk. I think it's really unlikely, but when you bring in the factor of labor, electricity, and it having to be cooked, it's definitely an investment. So mm-hmm. what I want to know is how exactly is that money being invested? And if there's a better way to invest it, because at the end of the day, health is the school's priority. And the government's priority from what we've seen with all these actions and things to push health. Well, I think a, a good solution, and, and a lot of these come from a New York Times article where they interviewed a lot of students. And these students had some really great thoughts. <laughs> Stuff I, I would have had even thought about. One student named Jan Sosa talked about how there should be more diverse options in, in what we eat. If you go into a cafeteria, most of the stuff is like burgers and fries. Even though it's supposed to be low sodium and everything, it is low sodium. No trans fat, well, whatever. It is still very much like that unhealthy school lunch. We still get mozzarella sticks somehow. Even though they're not fried, they're probably baked. What this student said was, you need to show more cultural identities. Not just Mm -hmm. like the Americana identity. I definitely agree. There, there are there are so many recipes out there in the world that use really cheap like vegetables that are really cheap in the US as well. They don't put that much in, but they're the most delicious thing ever. And they're not very hard to make. You can make a really good like lentil soup. You can and that can be made in bulk easily. And you and there is good quality control with making that kind of soup. So I think the future of school lunch would be moving away from what we think of school lunch now and getting into new tastes. Yeah, that's, I definitely agree with that student and with your points as well. Um, Every week we'd have like a schedule. That would be one of like the biggest posters up that I'd see even (laughs) in elementary school and high school. Um, It would be like Beatless Monday and every Tuesday we'd have burgers Mm-hmm. Every Wednesday would be like Culinary Wednesday, and that was just, the, you know, the Chicken Dumpling Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, over time, even if the school food was good, if you're having the same thing every week, the recycle mm-hmm. every week, kids are going to get bored. Yeah, I, I'm the kind of person who I can't really eat the same thing over and over again 
because my taste buds start to be like, okay, this doesn't taste very good. It tastes a little bland. I, I think I'm full. And I want to go for something else to eat because I'm, I'm not full. I, I, I have like a few bites of it and be like, I'm not full at all. Mm-hmm. So, I, so I would turn to the vending machines. Yes. And this is obviously a shared experience because 71% of, of public non-charter high schools in the United States have a vending machine of some sort in the cafeteria. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure a lot of them sell the same stuff that they sold to us, like popcorn and Doritos and Cheetos, obviously all with no trans fat or, but I was turning to these more unhealthy options because of these boring, healthier options. It's a little bit like the opposite effect, I think, of what, what the government and the DOE wanted to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I would remember we'd have school lunch, right? Not only were the portions way too small for a high school student, mm-hmm. it was food that people just didn't want to eat, you know? Yeah. There were some days where I skipped lunch completely because it just wasn't really edible, <laughs> you know? Like, yeah. I think having something is better than mm-hmm. eating nothing. And there were times, and after that, I started bringing, you know, granola bars and cookies to school to try to sustain myself because even after lunch, two hours later, I'd be starving. Yeah, and I would be the same, you know, I'm a pretty big guy. I I, I need myself some food. And we had food a little bit early, earlier in the day, which obviously doesn't contribute to having an appetite. But middle of the day, we, we, we would have a small lunch and have to go through the rest of the day. When my dad picked me up most days, I would pass out in the car. <laughs> like, I had a long ride home, I think about... 75% of the ride, I would be asleep. Because I would be so tired at the end of the day. I would not be able to keep my eyes open. And I'm sure it's because I didn't eat enough. <laughs> not necessarily because I didn't eat all the food, but because maybe we weren't given enough food. There were a lot of times where they where they would serve us only like one thing. There were some days where cheesy garlic bread was our lunch. Yes. We were, <laughs> you get a tray, <laughs> two pieces of cheese, cheese garlic bread. You'd like take a, a pear and and maybe that's because they didn't have a big enough budget, which is a whole separate problem. There needs to be better funding if that's the case. That goes into another option for an alternative to improve school lunches. Because good food, especially in school lunch, is definitely harder to come by from what I've mm-hmm. seen and from what you've seen. I remember back in middle school, they had really good garlic bread. The garlic bread was actually good. Like I would. I would definitely eat it by choice. It was incredible. <laughs> it was it, re- it really was good. And I remember a lot of the time they'd have like a tray of extra garlic bread. And as soon as they announced that tray of garlic bread being available for students to take, students would stampede <laughs> to that tray and yeah. grab whatever they could. It would it would be it would be insane. Like some kids wanted the garlic bread but they wouldn't even bother because of how many other kids were there. And that really shows the power <laughs> of good food that they have in school lunches. And definitely from what we mentioned before, a cultural variety would be Mm -hmm. a sustainable alternative. Yeah. And probably better portions. And better portion sizes, exactly. Um, I remember reading how every um, grade bracket, like elementary school, middle school, and high school would have a different amount of calories that school lunches were allowed to be. But 
that doesn't really account for how different the students are. Like, I, I get I get if you had a regulation on elementary school, but in high school, someone who's 5'1 is getting the same amount of food as somebody who's, like, 6'3", and that, I don't mm. think, makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> you know, obviously, the schools don't want huge portions. If a tourist comes to America, the first thing that they'll notice is that portions are about five times bigger. A burger and fries in Italy is going to be smaller than a burger and fries here, a lot smaller. But just because you don't want the portions to be big doesn't mean you can't have them be bigger than they are now. For a lot of kids, school lunch is the way that they get their daily intake of nutrients. Exactly. If you don't have enough food on the plate, enough food that they'll, uh, they'll want to eat, you're not going to get that daily nutrient intake. So this, the future of school lunch, I'm going back to the future of school lunch because that's what we have to think about. Future of school lunch is going to be a little bit more food and food that kids want to eat, that kids even interact with. So the future of school lunch is just more interaction with food, better food, and probably more funding. I remember a while back, international school lunches became viral. And one that is important to note is Japan school lunch. It's filled with delicious looking foods, sustainable portions. Um, the difference between school lunch in Japan and the school lunch in America is that in Japan, school students are much more involved in the process. You have kids prepping the food, you have kids cleaning up, you have kids setting up the tables, putting away the tables. And a big problem that we mentioned before was having to cook so much food for so many kids in a little bit of time. And that's basically the solution. You have kids being involved in the process. Yeah. You get a and, lot more and, done and you get, yeah. and, as a, and, and as a return, you get better food, better portions, and an overall better experience. And you're going to want to eat it. If we're more involved in the process, want to waste it. We'll want to get the most out of it. When you're more involved in the process, you feel, you definitely feel more connected to it. You really want to enjoy the outcome of your hard work. That's definitely a really important part of the school lunch experience. School lunch has been an extremely beneficial aspect of education for over a hundred years in America. It provided lunches to those who need it at an affordable, if no cost, way that gives students the nutrients they need to go through the day. But that does not mean there are no further changes that should be introduced. Even though it's been transformed and it's metamorphosized into what we know as school lunch now, the basic idea of sitting down and eating with your friends has persevered through it all. Food is hospitality, and school lunch is no exception. <laughs>